truth, love, and the good. Here we go. Welcome to the new podcast. I'm David Tian, PhD, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined here by Stefan Rivali. How are you doing, Stefan? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. And in case you don't know who I am, for over the past 13 years, I've been helping hundreds of thousands of people um, with their dating, relationships, lifestyle, and um, in over 87 countries. And uh, Stefan, how about you give a quick intro for yourself? How's it going? I'm Stefan Ravalli. I am a meditation and mindfulness content creator and conversation starter. And I've got uh, possibly the world's only mindful service education resource called Surf Conscious that I'm super proud of. Very cool. So our topic for today is judgment. Why judgment isn't bad and what to do about it and how this is going to change your life and make it awesome. <laughs> so let's start with uh, Stefan. We before we hit record, we're having a discussion about um, the potential controversy about judgment and um, specifically starting with sort of like a mindfulness space and people who who occupy that kind of wellness space. Can you tell me more about that? Because as a philosopher, um, I'm very familiar with judgment. That's something that happens for us all the time. Um, why would people think judgment is bad? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just a semantics thing. You know, um, it's just like a huge mindfulness, like buzzword and like antidote to what they believe to be a lot of problems in the world is non-judgment. So it has a lot of value um, in experiencing things openly. Like, let's, let's just say it's not something that's absolutely like dire and problematic, but I think we just need to really understand um, the importance of when to be like just open and, you know, available to all possibilities and when to actually take action and when to use our more critical faculties. And now the mindfulness movement, which I mean, in short, is like basically um, a lot of Buddhist and Eastern practices adapted to, you know, American sensibilities and kind of really core awareness practices being boiled down to stuff that's really practical and sensible to everyone without, you know, burdening them with like potential, um, you know, mystical or esoteric sounding language. It's all, it's like updated Buddhism in, in a way, um, but is, you know, often by no means like as deep and rich as like Buddhist, um, you know, teachings. Uh, but mindfulness is amazing and has done incredible, incredible um, work to like up-level areas of society that, that these practices would never normally get to, like corporate America and stuff. So it's, you know, doing incredible work. And I consider myself, you know, a representative working in, in this space of mindfulness as well. Um, so, and, 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 you know, in, in tension, we call stuff mindfulness uh, because it's an easy concept for people to understand when it comes to, you know, living in a way that's like present, conscious, intent, and, um, you know, always being aware of ourselves and aware of what's good for us as people, aware of what's good for the people around us. You know, we're using practices that um, improve our abilities to be like a, a smooth, skillful, fluid human being. Uh, that, that is like roughly, you know, a mindfulness sensibility. And so, yeah, mindfulness, great. Non-judgment, not so great in some situations. So let's talk about judgment, I guess, in the mindfulness uh, framework and why pretty much across the board they'll say there's no place for judgment. 
You know, you'd use something else. You wouldn't use judgment ever. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I've asked these questions and I, I don't know if I have a definitive answer from like the real kind of like, I guess you can say like orthodox, like mindfulness <laughs> teachers that are only steeped in, you know, teachings from like, you know, American mindfulness, which I'm not, my teachings go way beyond that. Um, and I say, well, like, like, okay, so what's non-judgment? They're like, well, you experience something and you don't like think negatively about it. You don't think that it shouldn't be there and you don't like resist it. You don't dismiss it. You don't condemn it. I'm like, well, that sounds like you just shouldn't resist, dismiss, condemn, repress, suppress, avoid. Um, but like that stuff doesn't necessarily have to do with judgment because judgment requires making an evaluation, you know? And, you know, like Buddhist principles are like resistant to the idea of like labeling things too quickly, you know, and jumping on, jumping to conclusions too quickly. You know, it's like, wait and see, you know, there, there could be more going on here than you think. And life's bigger than these words you're going to create to describe things, you know, and like label things. So don't just like boil it down to like, oh, this, you know, like, for example, like someone like is giving a lecture or something and they're like, you know, uh, 18 years old and you don't listen to them because you're like, ah, oh, what could some little, little kid have to teach me? Screw that guy, you know, uh, plus he's got like weird hair. That's like judgment from the mindfulness perspective. And obviously this is going to cause like problems with us really honestly experiencing reality. Um, but the problems that are most... Um, I guess you can say like toxic in terms of um, judgment is, you know, negative, negative internal self-talk, you know, and that's like, that's mind mindfulness is on a full frontal assault against that. And actually most self-development practices are, and often I think that's what they mean. You know, like you, you're having an experience internally and you're judging it as bad. That's what they mean. Um, but that doesn't mean that judgment is bad. It just means judging your experiences and anything about yourself as bad is a bad thing, so to speak. So <laughs> that's my like really roundabout way of talking about. Yeah. So, so, so what kind of, yeah, that's great. So thanks for that. Um, that's very interesting for me. And clearly uh, you have some disagreement with, with them uh, or with that view that you um, have ascribed to them. So, and some of that's leaking out already. So let's just get into it. So before I jump <laughs> the gun here, why do, would you, well, what are the drawbacks that you see to taking that view of judgment? Well, when it comes to living a life, it's not just about watching it happen without getting involved. You know, uh, in such an event, non-judgment would make sense. Uh, but eventually we're going to need to take action. And in order to take action, we need to make a judgment because judgment means all of these other possibilities are the wrong one, except this one, because in any given moment, you can only do one possible thing. You can take one possible path. And for that, you need judgment. And in the yoga traditions I've been trained in, um, this is called Viveka, known as discrimination. Uh, and and un discrimination is also a dirty word in our society because it, it you know is associated with bigotry and racism you know we think oh we because this is a certain way or looks or smells or seems to be a certain way i'm prejudging this prejudging there's the word judge i am predetermining the value of this thing and saying oh it's like you know 
it's not worthy because of these superficial characteristics. And that's like considered discrimination. But in like the yoga tradition, discrimination basically says, I have an innate ability to look at a situation openly, absolutely. But while I'm looking at something openly, non-judgmentally, according to the mindfulness, you know, um, framework, eventually there's only going to be one possible path that reveals itself. There's, there's got to be a decision made and there's got to be one possible right action, so to speak. So you need judgment for that because judgment is the ability of saying yes, no, right, wrong for right now, not absolutely right, wrong, not like it's not moral. It's not like damning. It just simply allows us to progress forward and it prevents us from getting manipulated because if you're fully open and you're like, everything's fine, everything's good, that's when exploitation can occur. Eventually, you have to say, oh, judgment, thank you, boundaries, this doesn't work for me. I, I, this does not fit into what I think to be right uh, for myself and you know, people I care about. So like, it, it eventually, eventually has to be used to, to do what's right. And in fact, the more you meditate, the more mindful you are, the more you are becoming a more aware and open person, the better your judgment and discrimination should become. Because now you are looking at things consciously with awareness. Judgment always occurs when you're aware, basically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, thanks. That's great um, that you put it out there, argument, um, and then you made it clear uh, where you disagree. Um, I would totally side with you. <laughs> I'm trying to be more sympathetic to their view. So I'm, uh, I'm, I do like uh, the no negative internal self-talk. Um, that's good. I'm really stretching here. Uh, but like, so, and I like the openness. Open's good. <laughs> Staying open, that's good. What I think the whole thing is undermined by, and I'm by training a philosopher. I was a professor of philosophy. We judge for a living. If we stop judging, we'd be out of work. So um, they, from the very beginning, they're judging. They're judging that judgment is bad. It's ridiculous, right? Um, they're so illogical. It's like, this is the reason why they have very... They, they have very little traction in certain parts of society because these other parts of society have their brains turned on. And these guys are like, feel, feel, feel like the vegans, right? Like the vegans who come in, like, don't judge, keep it open. And, but if you're not a vegan, fuck you. Right. It's like, they, it's only, they can judge. You can say no judgment when it's to their benefit. But as soon as you know, you're judging somebody who disagrees with you and from the, from that space, the mindfulness person, like you don't believe you don't agree with me about judgment. Well, I judge you for not believing me about judgment. It's ridiculous. Like, where's the logic here? So hopefully people are like not that switched off on their brains and turn them back on. You realize the English word judgment is completely being ripped out of context here, being used for its own purposes in rhetorical, polemic way by these mindfulness people. So hopefully that won't turn you off from mindfulness. <laughs> the actual practice of mindfulness is actually quite simple compared to all of the baggage that's coming along with it. <clears throat> but overall, I think their um, intention is good. They don't want you to engage in internal self-talk, which is negative. And I, I think the thing that they're missing is this discrimination, this judgment, this specific difference that they're missing, which is the difference between the English word judgment and the English word attack or condemn. Or So in other words, look, I can evaluate um, one of my employees as having uh, performed subpar this month. That, that doesn't mean I will then fire him. That's a separate distinction, right? There's, like, that's a separate determination. So you can evaluate all you want. In fact, you should. That's what we teach children to do. We send them to school so they can evaluate whether they got the answer right or wrong, right? And hopefully they'll be able to discern the difference between right and wrong so they don't smack Tommy in the face just because they don't like him, right? So we, we're teaching them these things. They're evaluating. We're actually teaching them to evaluate, to be smart, to be street smart, to not get hoodwinked, to, you know, all of that stuff, to be 
turned on, they've had their brains turned on. So they, they're evaluating. But what you do about your evaluation is a separate thing. I think all mindfulness people would benefit a lot from a serious courses on philosophy or logic. But there's a very different things. So to condemn judgment is a judgment in itself. So I feel like I'm in a debating uh, <laughs> class now. So there we go. Um, and the other thing is uh, the moralism, right? So there's this <clears throat> one uh, technique that moralistic people like to use is if they can rope in certain concepts that are <clears throat> in terms that have connotations that are rich and then can, they can use them for their own means. It's like they can warp them. And then they become, if you're in a discerning philosopher, you realize that guy, that philosopher is using that word in a very specific way that is different from a dictionary definition of it. And that's totally fair. That's, if you can't do that, then you're really, um, you're really tied down. So we're going to allow that. Let's say these mindfulness people are using this particular English word judgment in a really special way. But what it, what it sounds like to the average listener is that there's something that we do on a daily basis that's very useful and has given us a lot of survival value that without judgment, we would probably not have evolved in the way that we have. We'd probably be meat for the, you know, for, for the bigger predators and so on. We're very good at judging and this has become very useful for us over the millions of years. And they're plugging into the connotations of that and attacking that and it makes it sound like they're saying something really deep and big and special. But actually, they're just saying, don't condemn things. Um, keep an open mind. You might be wrong. Uh, so you can judge something without taking action on it. <clears throat> or you can say, okay, this sounds like it's not right. But I'm, I'm going to wait and see. But right now, I'm leaning more towards this other option. Right? And that's what healthy adults and smart adults hopefully will, will do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I guess the takeaway for practice is, Openness, openness over judgment. All right, so when you judge and you close the door on the thing that you've judged to be subpar or to lose in this in the scenario, um, if you keep the door open, but you decide not to walk through the bad door and wait and see, it, as long as you can, practically speaking, keep it open. Now, in the Hitler example, you should have acted a lot earlier. Um, so Malcolm Gladwell has written in this his new book on on judgment on judging strangers and how we suck at it, uh, yet we, we should still evaluate. And one of the things was the uh, prime minister of the UK at the time in 1938 and nine uh, met with Hitler personally. And um, most of Europe was quite nervous about what Hitler was uh, doing. And um, the UK prime minister went to meet him and then proclaimed him, A-okay, he made a bad judgment. And as a result, they acted too late. Um, and Hitler charmed the heck out of that guy and, and, and uh, pulled one over on him. And there's an example of why you should get better at judgment. You can have poor judgment. I think we all, hey, let's, let's, let's bring that back into the lexicon of mindfulness. Poor judgment. Poor judgment is not good. We're not encouraging you. <laughs> if you want to not have poor judgment, get better at judging. <clears throat> so that there's an example of like, what are you going to do when you make that determination? Okay, so let's roll time back. Let's say the prime minister had better judgment. And he thought, Hitler, this guy's crazy and he's dangerous. Let's do something about it to, to start containing him because he's going to attack and invade Poland very soon because he keeps saying this sort of thing. <clears throat> so we can now act. But there are times when we, we withhold not judgment, but action. So you can still judge in your mind and wait and see. Maybe this person will surprise you. Maybe you were wrong. Right? So that, that's a separate um, action. Uh, judging, and then the action, the, the practical determination of the 
what you're going to do about it is separate from the actual judgment. <clears throat> so yeah, so I, I break it down and be a lot more logical about it, a lot more clear about it. Uh, and then it, once you do that, then all the mysticism disappears and it's just think well and <laughs> act well. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know if this is at all relevant to the subject, but um, did you know that um, a lot of what sort of funded the, the Hitler philosophy uh, was like ancient esoteric yogic philosophy and texts. Yes. And the Aryan, the whole Aryan yeah. ideology. Oh man. Oh, like they were all like, um, like Vedic scholars. I mean, they had like, what was it? What was it? Um, which guy was it? Not Goebbels. Who's the other guy? Um, Himmler. Himmler. Oh, yeah. Or, right. You know, there's like these like four, like these four horsemen of the apocalypse. One of the four horsemen. <laughs> he had a Bhagavad Gita in his pocket. That's basically like mm. the Bible of like yogis. You yeah. Know? Well, and, at the time, uh, Germany was the this greatest seat of learning in, in all of the West. Yep. Yep. There they had like the most decorated um, you know, in Indian philosophy uh scholars uh work working for them for the Nazi party, finding all of these you know, looking through all these texts and looking for like extracting, pulling out of context these ideologies that they could use to justify what they were doing and make it sound really good. Like it sounded utopian, you know, because mm -hmm. yogic philosophy can sound utopian and it could sound like, oh, you know, uh, we've got to make some sacrifices, but that's fine because, you know, like there's no good or bad anyway. There's simply what serves the collective and what does not. So um, I'm serving the collective right now by being a genocidal warlord, and um, this this can you be used to hypnotize people into um, you know grotesque uh, behavior and policies and you know yeah. you know things happening. So so, anyways, I I guess this has to do with judgment because well, it's, it's a moral judgment as well. I mean, so the yeah. morality. This is the other thing we wanted to. We were toying with the idea of getting into the morality um, for this episode, but it's mm -hmm. going to be too big of a topic. So we have to think more deeply about how to cut it down, but just briefly on moral judgment. And I brought up Hitler. <laughs> so uh, moving it that way, but um, <laughs> when you bring up Hitler, you got to be ready to. <laughs> talk right. <laughs> well, there's the subjectivity, which is different from relativism and the yeah. modern world. It seems like from my experience with just talking to people in, in the modern West and their, and in Asia in their twenties, thirties and forties is that morale, morality in, in consciousness around issues of and thinking about what is good and what is right have fallen by the wayside because they've ascribed to some kind of relativism because they would say something like a hundred years ago, we thought it was good to have slaves and things like that. Um, and I would say, uh, well, that's just because they were poor judgers, right? They, they sucked at their thinking. And if you wanted to come back at them and say, uh, actually doing that is wrong, you need an argument. You don't just fight or, or scream or whine or blame, um, which is where it's going now because they've decided that logic is evil or that clear thinking is evil. And instead, it's whoever is the biggest victim and can cry the hardest wins um, the argument and gets to have the, the attention and the money and the policy and so on. And um, I think it would be really, really good. And I think a lot of uh, people in the West who are not maybe as vocal on social media or, or, or the media in general who don't own Vox or something uh, would be happy to hear that, they, that we, we like uh, clear thinking. We like um, being able to make a good argument and then to, to actually put out a good argument for why Hitler was bad and evil and should be contained. And you're free to disagree uh, in a free uh, society and put out your argument. But just because the bad arguments won 100 years ago does not mean arguments are bad. I mean, that itself is an argument. 
Um, so you just get better at judging, better at discerning, better at making arguments, better at discerning where the bad arguments are and where the faults in logic are, and to reintroduce logic and originally what these Eastern thinkers that these guys are trying to, and they're abusing, as a philosopher, um, as, a, as a professor of Asian philosophy, I can tell you they're abusing the thought processes of these ancient philosophers. None of these ancient philosophers were devoid of logic. And in fact, there are many studies of Asian logic going as far back as 500 BCE. So it's not that they're like, oh, feel, everyone love, love, love. Um, if they ran society that way, they would not have gotten to the level of civilization that they attained in Asia for the, for the 1,000, 1,500 years um, ensuing from there. It was a focus on clear thinking and argumentation. And this was, a, this was a key and core component of all Asian philosophy. It's why we are able to call it philosophy instead of just fuzzy, feel-good thinking. Yeah. And... Um this is a huge tradition in India as well. I mean, um, one of the most important, most enlightened scholars in the history of, uh, of India, Adi Shankara, who um, is the founder of, you know, the Shankaracharyas, which is like really, really esteemed um, schools of, uh, of yogic masters. They're called the kings of the yogis. Um, he, um, when he kind of rose to prominence, engaged in a uh, debate with um, you know a rival uh, who he had a healthy rivalry with, even though he had a flawed way of going about beating him, it was kind of this rivalry, you know, and that was a good thing. And when they debated for for um, to, to determine who had the deepest and fullest knowledge of life, that debate went on for six months. <laughs> mm -hmm. They sat in a room and they were just like fed water and food, and they went at it for six months. You cannot. No one's going to have the stamina for something like that unless they have a certain appetite for judgment <laughs> and, uh, and a certain appetite for saying it's okay to make value statements. It's okay to have values. It doesn't mean that you're not open, okay? It's just open means there's a constant awareness that you do have these values and a constant readiness to understand what they are, where they come from, and if they're serving the moment, you know? And it's a constant readiness to adapt and adjust and shift. It's more of like a readiness to shift. It's not like a blank slate, you know, like apathetic blob kind of approach to life. And that model has never worked, and no one's ever, ever lived effectively like that. And um, when you use words like non-judgment, um, I, I understand the value of it because it is especially relevant to um, not um, rejecting your experiences because that's one of the most common pastimes of the mind to just look at itself and be like, this shouldn't be here, that shouldn't be there. Nothing that's going on in me is good. I'm terrible. I suck. Um, I'm now having like feelings uh, you know, of anger that's causing difficulties in my relationship. These feelings suck. Uh, I wish they were gone. And it's like wanting to like these things to not be happening in you anymore. And that's considered judgment. Uh, what that is is rejection uh, and, um, you know, non-acceptance. That's not judgment. And, oh, and so, okay. I think I see what they're doing with the word judgment. So for them, the word judgment implies negative judgment. Yeah. You don't have good yeah. judgment. Yeah, oh, and, you, we, and it's we, good we, to even say, like, what is negative judgment? You know, there's just, there's just judgment that just fragments you, you know, mm. and there's, there's, but there's also judgment that, like, connects things, too. And the problem is, like, they throw the baby well, out with good. the bathwater, yeah. right? So there's, like, so there's the judgment that fragments you from yourself. So they're against you off judging things as bad. 
but they're not they're they're forward yeah. judging things as good. So they're still using yeah. judgment. They're still using judgment, but the problem is like that people are afraid of any judgments, judgments that could connect you to something more deeply, right? Yeah. So like, so when you're like, I don't want to judge, but this judge could actually deepen your understanding of something or somebody or of yourself. And you're afraid to do it because judgment's bad. And so they're just, it, it creates this sort of like this patterning of not wanting to do any kind of, um, any kind of work on something, you yeah. know? Right. Well, the way out of that problem of, of rejecting uh, what's happening in the mind, and this is a, a common therapeutic uh, block or obstacle that comes up with clients, is that while they're meditating or while they're in the therapy session or while they're processing emotions, they begin to um, try to push back, repress or condemn any emotions that they're feeling as if they, and the thought is, I should not be feeling this. <clears throat> and then it becomes a lot more painful or they start to suffer as a result. So the, the antidote is to lean into it, is to say, to judge it to be good. This is good. This is sort of like when you work out at the gym and you think this pain, this shouldn't be happening. Like you're, I don't know, I'm doing dumbbell flies in this video right now. So you're like going, oh, this pain, this feeling is not good. Well, if you keep doing that, you're not going to stay at going to the gym and you're not going to enjoy the workout and you're not going to have a good workout because you're going to be resisting and tensing up instead of breathing into it. And instead, this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger hack that um, all do dudes are, are, uh, know about, um, that when he's working out, and he's pumping that blood into his muscle. Normally, people think that's an uncomfortable feeling, but he associated that with that discomfort with progress. Like if this is feeling is happening, that means tomorrow I'm going to be bigger, or I'll be stronger. So if you just put those two together, like straight up NLP anchoring style, you're going to start liking that feeling. And that's really the only way to enjoy, to actually keep workouts going is if you enjoy them. So find a workout that you enjoy and you'll keep at it. And that's the same with like, if you ask anybody who is fit, they enjoy the activity. They can't hate it or they would have quit a long time ago. And what they're doing is they're judging it to be good. So um, in the, the antidote to the, in the therapy or meditation setting where the person is trying to shove down certain emotions that are coming up or sensations is to be open and lean into them because they're good. So what you say to them is, good. You feel like shit? Good. <laughs> that is good that you're feeling that because that's called progress. Because if you stay in your comfort zone and everything's comfortable, you're going to stay in your comfort zone and not grow. So growing always is going to be uncomfortable until you realize that is the sign of growth. And then you lean into it and now you welcome it. Um, so it's the same, like, I think I brought this up last time and I'm still healing from this knee injury. And every time we go to the doctor, they have to debride the wound, which is like, um, there's some scabbing that's happening, but they got to get the antibiotic cream right into that wound. They want to speed it up. So he takes this wet Q-tip and just over my skin to break straight the skin off. And it stings like crazy. And uh, the first day, I didn't, they didn't warn me about any of this is going to go on. So I'm like, wow, what are you doing? What are you doing? And in my mind, I'm thinking, I grew this scab. That's good. So why the fuck are you trying to take it off now? No, 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 no. And then the doctors, this is in Taiwan, so they speak Chinese. So I was swearing in English. Uh, they're like, oh, shit, okay. And then they're like, he can't handle pain. I heard that. And I was like, but I was sort of numb in my brain because blood rushed up to my head that I didn't have a quick response. So I'm like, oh, just close it up. All right, just stop. And then I went home and realized, oh, I realized what they were doing. So then when I went back, I started to lean into it a bit more. The first day I did that was very difficult. So I, I just looked around the office as they were doing, don't look at the wound that's being, so when I look at it and they're like, it, it amplifies the pain. So I look away and try to distract myself and think about other things and breathe like, and then I was able to handle it. Actually, that wasn't such a big deal. And um, a week later, I had to go every day 
because um, I, I fucked it up when I, I was in uh, the States and Singapore and let it get infected. So I go back every day and, and they do that every day. And now I'm just like, okay, if it doesn't hurt, then did they clean it up enough? I'm like, you guys got to get in there. I want this to heal. Like, get in. And um, now I'm starting to associate that debriding with, oh, good, good, because it means it's going to heal faster. And that's a judgment. Hello, people. That's an actual judgment. I'm judging it as good. And therefore, I'm able to welcome it, to be open to it, to lean into it. So what I tell my clients is when these emotions come up, good. That's a sign of progress. If no emotions come up, that's okay, too. But what you want is to be able to be at the edge of your comfort zone. And in fact, when you start to not have a lot of change, and I've discovered this in my life in terms of money, in fitness, in uh, learning, um, in, in all areas, uh, when I'm not getting major paradigm shifts happening, that's probably time for me to move on to another level or to another thing. Um, or I can just stick with it and try to get through that tunnel and see if there's more that I can squeeze out of that. But often that's just a sign of the, the first signs of plateauing and changing it up is or maybe you're done that 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 part of it you're learning and it's now, now time to create or produce or you can now branch out into other areas um so i'm also uh, trying to pursue a study of mma and that's an interesting thing because it's not a really a thing it's not one thing or that you can think of it as like a big capacious category but it includes lots of disciplines boxing martial arts and, and now i'm talking about stuff that would probably trigger mindfulness people right so if y'all are listening man uh, we're a little bit more muscular meditation here so oh no you have to attack people and punch them and hurt them who would want that um, yeah, so people with masculine energy would want that. And it's enlivening. It's an amazing feeling. So um, you, you, what you don't want to do is just dabble for a long time. Then you're not going to get good at anything. So you get maybe you focus on one discipline for a whole year or two, boxing. And then you get really good at that and you're not getting any major shifts or major, like you're not getting any major pain from it. Like you're not getting a hit from areas that, uh, from strikes that you didn't anticipate. Now you're able to, you, you've gotten to a level of, of proficiency where there aren't any major pains coming through. There's um, and maybe pains is the wrong word. There, are, there isn't anything new coming at you that you're having to adjust and lean into. Um, and now maybe it's time to go to BJJ or wrestling or, an, you know, another discipline. Um, but if you, if you're, like not if you're resisting the discomfort at the edge, you're never going to get good at anything. You're never going to going to get to the point where you can move on to other things. And adults stay stuck so often in um, in where they were in stasis in their mid twenties, unless they're forced to learn. And there's a little tip: um, lean into the discomfort because it's good. The judgment there on it is it is good, and it is a sign of potential progress if you lean into it. Yeah, and I would uh, encourage uh, everyone to go back to the episode on discomfort and how to embrace it. Um, we'll leave links in the show notes to that, actually. That would be a good idea. So, um, yeah, and you know, like, it's funny. You, you don't even have to use the word good, um, you know, and that some people might cons consider that, you know, like a certain amount of like trying to convince yourself of something, you know, that isn't actually being experienced so let's say you're really far away from being able to think it's good and feel like you could believe it all you have to do is say this is happening or this should be happening because it is and everything that's happening is is exactly what should be happening it couldn't happen any other way and non-judgment in that sense of the mindfulness sense is just simply not rejecting reality, you know, because whatever's occurring is something that 
is absolutely necessary for you and everyone experiencing it. And you, when you look at it as necessary, as something that could not be any other way, and there's no point in wishing it was because that's just going to um, isolate you from reality and being able to handle it. Um, acknowledging things as they are, exactly as they are, that is, you know, true presence and uh, true power, you know, to not reject any aspect of the moment. And, and that is what they mean with non-judgment. You're acknowledging things exactly as they are. Now, that doesn't mean like you should be afraid of fucking it up by like actually making a value judgment or actually taking action or even getting angry um, because you can do so externally, external behavior that you know should be done. And that is also accepting things exactly as they are because things exactly as they are means being aware of how you feel about it and what you intuitively know what should be done. There's a certain connection to your intuition that needs to be in place here. And we're going to talk about it in later episodes. But um, when you like really, really in your bones know that something isn't right, that is reality showing you the one single course of right action that you need to take. And you not taking that, that is judgment because you're rejecting something that reality is really clearly showing you. You're rejecting your path and in Buddhist and yogic traditions, your dharma. And that is the worst judgment you can possibly make. That is a judgment that's shutting you off to where you're supposed to be going. So this openness, this acceptance of all reality means accepting of where reality is pushing you towards. That's ultimately what you're setting yourself up to accept. You're not setting it up to sit there and do nothing. You're setting it up to say, yes, forward we go. Even if it's uncomfortable, actually, especially if it's uncomfortable because we've said it now, we'll say it again. Uncomfortable stuff has the most transformative potential. And there's no need to push that one much farther here. But we will definitely return to that in later episodes. So, yeah, great, <laughs> great spot to stop. And uh, thanks so much for listening and watching all of our um, uh, audience. And uh, <laughs> make sure that you go to our website, tenshinmindfulness.com. That's T-E-N-S-H-I-N mindfulness.com. And Stefan, how do they get a hold of you and find out more about you? Uh, yes, Stefan is on Instagram and LinkedIn, especially. I don't know what happened, but I have a lot of presence on LinkedIn. Find me there. I'm the only one with my spelling of my name on LinkedIn. And uh, serveconscious.com, lots of free educational content. It's completely free unless you want to work with me one-on-one. Um, you know, I charge for consultation a reasonable amount, but uh, everything else I'm just putting out there for people to learn um, something they don't normally know how to do properly in their life, and that's to serve. We'll talk about that later, though. Great. And you can learn more about me at davidtnphd.com. That's davidtianphd.com. And uh, thanks so much again for listening and watching. We'll see you in the next episode. Hey, it's David again. Before you go, a couple last things. First, all the show notes and links to resources can be found at davidtnphd.com backslash podcast. Or you can just go to davidtnphd.com and find it through the top navigation menu. Second, if you'd like to interact with me and other like-minded fans of this podcast personally, then join our private DTPHD podcast Facebook group. We've got an awesome community of intelligent, wise individuals from literally all around the world. You can send a join request to the group using the link you'll find in the show notes of every podcast at 
davidtnphd.com backslash dtphdpodcast. Click the link, log into your Facebook, and then click to join. We approve join requests every day. So go to davidtnphd.com and click the link to join. See you inside our group.